Hello everyone, welcome back to Well Well. This is Jarell. I'm Rachel. Thanks for joining us for another you episode. You almost did it. I almost did it. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about something interesting today. Yeah, so we thought we'd talk about anxiety and depression, which as therapists and as people in the world, I feel like they come up as the most common, is a good word, mm-hmm. mental health conditions people talk about. I think that's, those are kind of the two big things, right? When people say like, oh, I'm experiencing a mental health issue, most people think of anxiety or depression. But there are a lot of misconceptions about what anxiety is, what depression is, when you should feel them. And yes, there are times where you should feel both of them, when it's a problem, how to manage them, all of that. So I think that's kind of going to be the main point of today is to normalize it a little bit and also to help you get some tools to know the difference and just have a real conversation about these two things that really everyone experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with depression, I guess we'll start there. Um, that was just the first thing that came to my mind. I think what a lot of people, and Gerald, you can correct me if you have a different opinion, people often confuse being depressed and having depression as being the same thing. Yes, I would argue that, um, but I also would say, I would argue that in both directions, actually, because I think for some people, um, they conflate the two, and obviously something that we say very commonly in language now, oh, I'm depressed, which really means for most people, I'm sad. Right, which is also very different. Which is different, and... But I also think that there are a lot of people who like end up at my office who will say that they feel sad a lot, but don't realize what they're actually dealing with is clinical depression. That's fair. I think that is really kind of the biggest problem, right? The idea of when are you going through a hard time and so you feel sad or depressed or just down? For a, for a general term, compared to when is it a clinical medical problem mm-hmm. of that this isn't just about what you're going through, this is something that's happening for you internally, not just like an idea of, oh, you're feeling down because you should be feeling down, which I say to clients often where they'll say, you know, oh, this situation makes me feel really sad or feel really depressed. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Like you just lost a loved one. Right. You just lost your job. Right. You're going through a breakup. Like you're supposed to be sad right now. But depression in the clinical sense is very different in a simple way I've always described it as there's not a very clear path to how you got there. Right. Like it's not a, oh, something tragic has happened in my life or my life circumstances have changed dramatically and so therefore I feel not myself. It's the idea that you can't necessarily connect how you're feeling back to something that happened to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think sometimes that's the case. I think, but I, I think the thing that people sometimes maybe get confused about is that there are, there obviously can be catalysts for most yes. people, right? And I think where it gets tricky is then we start thinking about, well, when is, when is that sadness or that quote-unquote feeling depressed? When does it like actually cross over into it being 
depression, clinical depression, versus just this quote unquote normal reaction to a difficult circumstance, right? Yeah. So I think that's a that can be a tough distinction for a lot of people because obviously when we talk about clinical depression, there are very specific criteria and indicators that say like, oh, this is more than likely this is clinical depression. And one of those indicators is time. Which I have to right. say, like, is shady because what right. it's it's two weeks generally. Right. Yes, two weeks. Which and I'm thinking like going back to that idea that there are catalysts, it's that yeah, I don't know that I've ever experienced a breakup, losing somebody, a major life change, and after two weeks being like, Cool, I'm fine now. Yep. So that's pretty crazy. And it's that idea that I think it's really and obviously you need to have diagnostic criteria because this is how we get people help. Yeah. But I think it's very individualized. Yeah. Of that, to me, it's always something where I hear people joke about all the time where they'll say, oh, you know, if I don't want to do this activity, like you got to stage an intervention, things are, it, things are going poorly. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's knowing yourself of that, even, you know, for example, like even when I'm, just absolutely feeling awful. Like I want to go run. Like I'll, I might not be able to get myself to do anything else, but I'll get myself out the door for that. I think for me and hopefully people around me, if there was ever a time where I was like, I don't want to do this training run, like not because I felt sick or because something was injured, but just because I don't want to, then it's like, Oh, red flag. Mm-hmm. Whereas for other people, it might be if you're super social and then suddenly you don't want to do that, and it's not necessarily just that one time. But to me, that's where maybe the two, I'm going to even extend it to three, four week thing comes mm-hmm. in. Of that, if there's this thing you love that generally also makes you feel better in a hard time, that you suddenly are like, no, mm-hmm. I have no desire to do this whatsoever, and it doesn't elevate my mood at all. That to me is like, okay, there might be something a little bit more serious going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's going back to that idea, too, of that it's not, you know, you can people can kind of Google the diagnostic criteria. We, don't, we won't bore you by, like, reading the DSM to you. But it's that it's sleep disturbance is another one, too, mm-hmm. if you want to sleep too much or too little. But there's so many reasons why that could also be happening that it's very easy, I think, to look at what the DSM says and say, oh, I'm depressed. Yeah. It's kind of like WebMD. Like you can yes. kind of Google that and be like, oh my God, I have a brain tumor. You could look at the diagnostic criteria and think, I've been depressed 50 times in my life. And there's kind of some truth to that because I think we all get depressed and we all feel depressed for periods of time. But it's a matter of degree and severity in when it becomes full-blown, like, clinical depression, and it's not just kind of a run-of-the-mill, this is like a being-a-person thing. Mm. Well, I guess for me, the... I actually don't use that language. Maybe that's because I'm a therapist. So I I won't say I'm depressed unless I think it's clinical depression. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I will say I'm, I'm sad, and I, or I feel down, or have felt down, but I won't say that because to me... That is reserved for that, but that I know that's not the norm. Well, and for me, and I'm with you because, like, I was always very cautious of that for that mm. reason. I'm like, this is, you're not depressed, right? But to me, I feel like there's a 
there's like a middle ground. Mm. Like there's a time where I'm sad because I've watched a sad movie or somebody, like I just got in a fight with somebody and it's affecting me in that moment. Yeah. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum is like a depression diagnosis. Yeah. But in the middle of that to me would be, and maybe I'm labeling it wrong and other people would label it differently is like a, I am not experiencing depression because I feel like I know even through my feelings, there's a light at the end of the tunnel mm -hmm. and I feel like hopeful, mm -hmm. but I'm definitely not in a space where it's like, Oh, in an hour or two, I'll be good. Mm -hmm. Like it's, yeah, it's yeah, been yeah. a rough like week or few days where I'm like, I'm just not myself right now. Right. And to me, it's like, if, we don't call that being depressed. Like there should be a name for that middle ground. Cause mm -hmm. I think that's where people get stuck mm -hmm. and maybe because there isn't a name for it, but they get stuck in saying, Oh, I must have depression because I'm in that middle space. Oh, that's a good point. Where like, no depression is like that middle space, like on steroids and not any, not that steroids are good, but like that does the opposite of steroids. It makes you weaker. Mm -hmm. But there's like that middle place where it's like, it's more than just sadness, but also like kind of there's that idea in the back of your head of like, all right, I just need like a couple days or a couple weeks and then I'll, I'll be good. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think the, when we talk about diagnostic criteria, I, I look at it as this, in a similar way as WebMD. And so I will say this, and this is something I've learned in years of practice as a therapist is that um, it is like understanding the diagnostic criteria and the DSM and how that actually looks in real life requires a lot of practice and a lot of knowledge and training. So my disclaimer is, is that one, for all of you listening, uh, everyone who's within earshot of the sound of my voice, don't look at the diagnostic criteria because it is, while it's very descriptive, I think a lot of therapists, a lot of mental health professionals have seen, because they've seen more, um, can more accurately give someone like a diagnosis and say, well, actually, like, yes, it has these elements for, I can see why you would think that or why I would feel like that, but it's actually this. Um, because because of X, Y, and Z. And so I just want people to be very careful about um, sort of self-diagnosis. And I think, actually, I was talking to someone recently about this um, because it's something that happens frequently with people, with psych students in undergrad, is that everyone, everyone starts to take <laughs> psychopathology, right? And then it, one of two things happen, or multiple things happen. One, you're like, okay, I have everything. We're all depressed Every, and schizophrenic. Right, everyone has schizophrenia, everyone's <laughs> depressed. Or, like, I have everything, or the people I know have everything. My friend is borderline. Right. My mother is histrionic. My father is a narcissist. <laughs> exactly. Like, no. So, it's like, and that happens for, you know, people who go on to be really good therapists. Hi. And, uh... <laughs> I'm not admitting <laughs> And, and for, and for people who don't ever enter the field. So it's just one of those things, like once you're attuned to and learn about those things, things appear more, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily accurate what you're seeing or how you're understanding something. Well, and as you're saying that, I think it's also, and this kind of ties into anxiety as well, is that 
a lot of us have a very low tolerance for our emotions. Yeah. So it's the idea that if we feel something strongly for whatever reason it is and for every length of time, and I think this happens medically too, right? Mm-hmm. Where maybe it is the WebMD culture, but it's like you get a headache and you have a headache for a couple of days and we're all like, we have a brain tumor. It's yeah. like, no, you probably don't have a brain tumor because do you realize how rare it would be that your headache is a brain tumor, just statistically speaking? Mm-hmm. And so I think we have a tendency to go to the worst case scenario, especially when we're uncomfortable, because if we're uncomfortable, there must be something drastically wrong. Whereas a lot of what you experience is just life and life is hard and kind of kicks our ass sometimes because a very small percentage of the population is actually diagnosed with depression as a disorder. It's not as many people as you would think. I mean, I think it's more than the stigma and that society's told us in terms of that. But in terms of that, just feeling sad for a while or feeling depressed or whatever we want to call that middle ground, it would be very rare that you would then be in a full-blown major depressive disorder diagnosis. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen to 60% of the people. It's just emotions and it's just life. But I think we don't like it and we don't like the feeling. Mm -hmm. So we want a quick answer and a quick fix. And that's what we're told all over the place. And that's what is more prevalent for us to go to is like, oh, this is why, now let me fix it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll say that the language that like mental health providers might use to talk about that middle ground, maybe, might be something like subclinical depression, Yeah. right? So you may not meet the diagnostic criteria for like a, a major depressive disorder, but like are definitely not yourself, you're definitely not doing all the things that you would normally do, but you're still functioning in a lot of ways. And I think that's that's the other thing, I, I think, the myth that I'd like to kind of bust here um, is that people, if you work in a traditional office environment, I mean, even in like a small company of like 50 employees or less, there's at least one person who's probably been diagnosed with depression in your office. Yeah. And, and they come to work every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of people walking around with like functional depression and, and that's something you actually kind of see in like this commercial sometimes, right? You see the woman who's like lying in bed, but then she goes to ride her bike. I mean, we can rant about the actual content of commercials, <laughs> but you know, like she's riding her bike, but then she's taking care of her kid and you know, she's going to work, but, she, but the process of doing all those things is just so difficult and draining. Um, that it's not quote-unquote normal. And so, you know, obviously those there are those those commercials are, you know, pharma industry-driven to say, like, okay, this medication will help you, and that's, but that's just one option to treat. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's twofold, and I think about anxiety, too, which we'll get to in a second, but it's, the message that we want to send, I think, is that it's not as serious as you pro- as you might think it is just because you feel whatever feelings you want to call depressed feelings or sad feelings or however you want to label it. It doesn't mean it's the worst case scenario, but it also doesn't mean you need to suck it up and push through it and that it's nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's that balance of yeah. that. And I think people are either like, well, 
it's either that I have this terrible diagnosis of major depressive disorder that I'll never get over in my life, and I need to be taking medication until I die, and all the medication, which like sometimes medication's helpful, sometimes it's harmful. But just because it's not that, which it often isn't, doesn't mean it's not serious and not, and something that you have to just ignore and can't talk about and can't seek support with. Yeah. And I think that is also very sort of anxiety, which is another thing everyone experiences. <laughs> I probably, and I feel like Gerald's going to laugh because he will probably agree, <laughs> but I want to say that I am anxious like 70% of my day, <laughs> that something is making me anxious to some degree. Whether it's that I tend to schedule my day literally up to the minute. Like I have 45 minutes to do this and then 30 minutes to do this. And it starts right after the 45. And not following that, which surprisingly sometimes is hard. And yet I keep doing it. Makes me anxious. Like waiting for a train makes me anxious. If I'm hot, I'm like, I want to stop being hot. When is this train coming? All kinds of things throughout the day are spiking my anxiety. Mm-hmm. I tend to be a more neurotic person than others. But I think to some degree, everyone's anxious at some point throughout the 24-hour period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and just, uh, I mean, there was like a, a moment yesterday. Um, so there is, so there's been this issue with dog food uh, for a couple years in which some major dog food brands have been known to cause heart problems in dogs. So... This is, again, been in the news for years here and there. Yesterday, got, like, confirmation that the dog food I've been giving my dog, there have been a significant amount of reported cases of these heart issues. So, immediately, I'm in a panic, and I feel guilty, and I'm going through all these range of emotions of, like, oh, my God, what if I've been feeding Nomi? And she's fine, by the way. Um... So even knowing that she's fine and that there have been no issues, like I instantly felt this spike of those things um, and, and that worry. And so I think that even if it's not uh, necessarily like something that's personal to you or like your activity or something like that, environmentally or things that are outside of your control can spike the, that anxiety too. Um, but it is really normal to have this variability in mood throughout your day. And this is something I also talk about and that we both talked about or written about in terms of like happiness, right? So not to get on too long of a tangent, but these are all emotions and emotions are moments. They are fleeting. So anxiety is an emotion. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is an emotion. Sadness is an emotion. These things come and go. And it's normal to experience the whole range of things. So pro tip, this might be part of the discussion too, is that if you're not experiencing a range of emotions, you might be in trouble, right? Yeah. Because no, that's be normal. It's funny that you bring up the no me dog food thing because yeah. I was the person who sent you the link. And the reason I read it is because I got anxious at the tweet that contained the article. And my mm. first thought was, all of the dogs in my life are dying. I need right. to send this to everyone. Right. And then later on, once I like relaxed from that, I was actually surprised that it was a problem because mm. very rarely is that actually a thing. Ah. But that was exactly why I had sent it over. I mean, mm. obviously it was logical, but right. I was like, oh my God, the dog food is not sick. Right. I have to alert everyone. Every, every dog is being poisoned. Right. Which is not necessarily true. And I think actually that process mm-hmm. is 
one of the key ways to know whether, I hate the word normal, but whether your anxiety is normal or an appropriate level, both mm. of those are in quotes, is that does it, like Gerald said, there are moments, so does it kind of come down at a certain point, mm -hmm. right? So like if I'm anxious because I feel like I'm going to be late to something, do I then calm down when I realize I am not then late? Right? Is that something that mm -hmm. even if I don't feel fine and totally zen, because right. I don't think I ever feel totally zen, <laughs> ever, but it, it, the, the spike, it goes down a little bit. Right. And so I think that's one sign that there's something a little bit more complicated going on for you. Mm -hmm. It's not feeling anxiety, and it's not even feeling a high amount of anxiety. Right. Because they're the story that I now tell, because I'm just always baffled. I consider myself pretty self aware, but. This was something I did not know about myself until Jarrell pointed it out, mm. where we had, I don't know if you remember this, yeah. I referenced this a few times, but okay. we had a conversation where you told me that I really get very focused on little details that are not that important, oh, yes. and I was like, what are you talking about? No, I don't. Like, I, I'm perfectly in perspective with how things should be and their importance, and I dismiss it. And then a couple days later, I sent a very long, like, paragraph-level text about the pros and cons of having a dinner reservation at 7.15 versus 7.30, and Jarrell's response was that. This is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh. But that is real, right. <laughs> and I still, to this day, maintain there is a difference between a 7.15 reservation and a 7.30 reservation. But even that... Even if somebody next to me would say, that's crazy that you even care, that might create a high spike of anxiety depending on the situation. Mm -hmm. But like at a certain point, it comes back down. Right. So it's not even that you're experiencing the anxiety at all about whatever it is. It's that at some point when the environment changes, when the situation changes, when you give yourself a pep talk that you're like, hey self, I'm being ridiculous right now. It can be brought down, even if it's not being brought down to, cool, I'm totally zen, I'm relaxed, I'm perfectly chill. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is when it's like, okay, maybe this is a red flag. I can't bring myself down and go through the exit flows. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing I would, uh, just to maybe slightly belabor the point, is that we, a lot of people, at least I've seen this with a lot of people that I've worked with over the years, uh, have this really black and white mentality about emotions specifically about sadness or depression or anxiety it is either i'm like i'm feeling anxiety therefore this is panic and this is the worst thing that's ever happened or i should feel no anxiety whatsoever i should never be nervous i should never like that's not normal either um and i've seen and witnessed the same kind of things with depression is that people will say like i like there are times it's I should either get rid of this feeling completely, otherwise this isn't worth it and something's like wrong with me. Whereas no, that variability is normal. And like we're supposed to be feeling a range of those things throughout our days. And actually that is very helpful information for you about like what something means to you about maybe what you want to do about it, if there are some remedy or solutions. If you didn't feel anything, you wouldn't be able to access that information. Now, obviously, sometimes people need help decoding, and this is what therapists are great hey. at doing, right? It's helping people decode, like, okay, but it sounds like you're having this experience because of X. 
or maybe you're expecting Y to happen. So let's look at that. Is that feasible? Is that reasonable? Or is it not? And then how do you pivot? Yeah, without getting to sciencey and evolutionarily that's not a word. Mm -hmm. It's actually a survival mechanism. Yeah. The thing that stops you from walking out in front of traffic because oncoming cars are scary is the same thing that makes you anxious when you feel like you're not going to do well at work in a presentation or that you're nervous for a first date or you're anxious that your friend is mad at you. It's all the same thing. And so you really shouldn't turn that off mm -hmm. because, again, it's what stops you from doing something that's really harmful to you. And so you have to recognize, like, why you're perceiving certain things are a threat, like Jarrell said, and get that information because you might be able to do something with that. More often than not, there is a remedy and there are tools that you can do to manage it and to kind of talk yourself down from it. But if you're ignoring that feeling, you're just going to get stuck in the problem. I use this kind of gross example, I'm realizing now, in session where if your toilet is overflowing and you go, I don't, I don't want to, I'm just going to close the door. So that doesn't <laughs> stop it. <laughs> like your, your bathroom is flooding. Your bathroom is flooding and you're ignoring it. But at some point it's going to become a problem that you can't ignore anymore. And that is our emotions is you can ignore it for a time being. And I hear that there are sometimes it's really inconvenient to feel depressed, sad, anxious, mad, whatever, like mm -hmm. at work, right? Like you don't want to be having a high level of anxiety at work. That's inconvenient. So you can pause for a second and just say, all right, I got to put this out of my mind, but you have to come back to it or else your bathroom is flooding. Your emotional bathroom is Your flooding. emotional bathroom is flooding. You're welcome, everyone, for yeah. that imagery. Well, and then I'll double down on it, <laughs> is that I often talk about it in the context of people leaking, <laughs> right? So like... <laughs> I say yeah. that all the time and just realize how gross that actually is. Right, it's, it's like super gross now that you tie these two uh, images together. But it's kind of like you're leaking. Oh, what happens is, is that if you're not dealing with the stuff that you're carrying, the anxiety that you're carrying, you actually end up leaking it onto other people, and then it starts to impact your relationships. Because then, like, then maybe you're less fun, you're worried, people then become resentful that, like, this fun experience can change into something where you know, you had to do something to take care of yourself or they had to take care of you, but you didn't realize that you needed that, you didn't communicate that, and so and people weren't expecting that. And so, and I think that that actually is, a, is one of the markers of, you know, when depression or anxiety turns into a more of a clinical issue is when it really starts to be disruptive. One, it has to be ongoing, but then it has to be disruptive. Right, if it's disrupting your day, like if you're late three days out of the week to work because you're feeling so depressed that it's hard for you to get out of bed when your alarm clock goes off, and this is like you know regular for you, it's pretty consistent, and you've gotten in trouble at work, you're now on probation or you have a warning. This is a sign that you need some more support. You've got some work to do because it's really become your feelings. The depression have crossed into a dysfunctional kind of territory. Yeah, and I think that comes from a lot of as we kind of transition into the okay, what do you do with all of this? Is especially if you're feeling good right now, whatever good means to you, is start to pay attention to yourself, not just 
how you're perceived by others, which I think when people say pay attention to yourself, they translate it into that. It's not about like how the world is seeing you, it's how do you feel? What's happening internally in your person that another person may never even notice is that how do you usually feel after a certain amount of sleep, right? Let's say you normally get seven hours of sleep every night, that's usually your average. And you wake up feeling, you know, like you could sleep for a little bit more if you have the time, but generally you're getting through your day, things are fine, whatever. If you're starting to have that change, like you wake up after seven hours and feel like you've been hit by a truck and you're like, I can't even get out of bed, that's a red flag, that something's going on for you, right? It might be a very obvious thing, like, oh, you're you know working harder. I know when I start training for a race, the amount of sleep I normally get is suddenly no longer sufficient. But sometimes it's also not something that you can notice. And so it's that, it's cueing into those things and then pausing and saying, okay, what's going on for me? If your appetite is bigger, less, if you want, if you feel yourself craving people more than normal, where you're like, I just had a totally social weekend, but I still feel so lonely and anxious, I need people, versus I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm normally somebody who has five text message conversations going on at once, but even the idea of having one with my closest friend is exhausting. All of those are cues, and it doesn't mean that, you know, you're in this huge dark, terrible place that nothing except a cocktail of medication can cure. But it is information that you need to have because that's how you know where things are going and how you're doing to know if you do need more support than you normally have. Yeah. I think it's also a good thing to mention that you don't have to be in the worst case scenario to seek out support. Mm -hmm. As we said, everybody feels anxious, everybody feels sad, depressed, whatever you want to call it. This is something we all go through, but that doesn't mean that you don't get support, right? Like when, you know, you have the flu, something that a lot of people get, usually you seek medical attention, not because you're like, oh my God, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody. I am the darkest case ever, but like, no, because having the flu is hard and support is good. And that's true of depression and anxiety, as well as kind of anything you're struggling with on the mental health side. You don't have to be unable to get out of bed and unable to go to work and unable to sustain your relationships to seek out support. Seeking out support is what's going to stop you from getting to that point, which I don't think anyone wants to be. Yeah. yeah. And so that's something that I know that mental health stigma is real, but it's okay to seek therapy. It's okay to tell your friends that you are having a hard time, not because you have a cold or a headache or because you just work up with somebody, but because your anxiety is higher than usual or because you're feeling depressed. And it's okay if you can't entirely pinpoint why. And that's what the support of therapy can do. But be, oh, it's okay. It's kind of the message behind it is that it's not a lost cause. You will get through it. It's okay. And it's okay to get help. Yeah. And I, I think that, that the piece of self-monitoring and checking in, like, I know we're in, like, this whole self-care culture. It's very, like, trendy, and we're going to spend all our money on these really cool things, which, okay, cool. I like bougie stuff sometimes, too. <laughs> but the best self-care that you can do regularly is to just ask yourself, how am I? How am I doing? What's going on with me? 
because as Rachel was just saying, it gives you the opportunity to really dial in and figure out what's going on with you. And then you get to make a choice. You get to make a choice what you're going to do about it. If you can do something about it, what that remedy is, and do you know what it is? And if not, you can make the decision to seek out support, um, whether that is, you know, social with friends or family, or if that's professional with a therapist or a psychiatrist or someone, you can have that option. But if you're just going about your days and going about your life, not asking yourself, how am I doing? What's happening for me? Then you may not have that option. And so I've definitely run into situations where I've been working with someone who, and this happens to a lot of people because humans are tremendous creatures and that we can get used to a lot of shit. And so sometimes what happens is, is that people, we get used to something. We get used to feeling sad for a really long time or feeling numb for a really long time or feeling anxious for a really long time. And so you think it's fine, but it's actually not. Like those aren't things that persistent feelings of depression, persistent feelings of anxiety. Um, it's not good for, it's not good for us. It's not good for our systems. And so one way we can prevent that is by taking a little bit of time every day to check in with ourselves and see how am I doing? And then looking at that and saying, is this the same as yesterday? Is this the same as a month ago? Is this the same as a year ago? Because then you really get to see, oh, this is a problem or maybe this is just this adjustment that I have to go through right now because it's only been a week or, and I just moved or, you know, I changed jobs or I started working on a new project. I got married whatever the situation is, is that if you're able to take stock in that way, then you can make some really good choices for yourself. A tip I give clients often, because surprisingly or not, I'm not surprised. We're, we're really bad at this. Yeah. People in general are really bad at this. Yeah. Is I say, every time you are in a bathroom, look in the mirror and ask yourself how you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I say the bathroom, because that's guaranteed, you're guaranteed to be in there a couple times a day. If you're not, you're underhydrated and you need to shower. <laughs> yeah. And it's a guaranteed, hopefully, sorry if there are people who have kids because I know that that's not necessarily mm-hmm. the case for you, but hopefully guaranteed place where you can have at least a couple minutes of solo time right. without somebody interrupting you. And again, people with small children and also probably pets, my apologies, yeah, that absolutely. might be a little bit harder for you. But generally speaking, you have a better chance at that than kind of the rest of your day. Mm -hmm. And so for anybody who needs a way to get started, I'd say try that. You know, and you don't have to go into this whole huge thing right away, but just be like, hey, my head kind of hurts. Like my stomach feels, you know, like it's uneasy. Like my foot is sore or like, oh, I feel hungry. I feel thirsty. Oh, I'm actually really content right now. I feel at peace. You know, just to have an idea to start the process and get in the habit of data collection. And then once you do that and that becomes more habit, you can get into the deeper stuff of like, but how am I doing like globally speaking? Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, small steps, right? Start somewhere, especially because like I said, I don't think most of us have been taught, Hey, you know, you ask other people on the street how they are, ask yourself how you are. We're not taught that. And it's really unfortunate because it's super helpful to know how you're doing before it becomes a crisis situation. Yeah. Well, and to your point about um, 
bathroom is personally that's why it's one of my favorite spots in the house. That's weird. You've gone too far now. Yes, <laughs> because well, because so I naturally run a little bit anxious. I, I'm pretty sure I've come from a line of warriors, and and so for me, it's like that the time in a shower. I also like baths, which Rachel does not. Rachel does not. Um, but the, those are those. Sitting in your own bed. Those are those. Those are the times in which, at least for me, that the rest of the world is off. So it's easier for me to disconnect when I can only listen to the water, as I'm also a great mindfulness activity. Um, when I can only listen to the water or play with the bubbles, if there are bubbles. Like, tap into how I'm feeling. Yes, I'm revealing a lot. It's fine. Just got this image of you, like, playing, <laughs> playing in, the in the bathtub. Yeah, yeah. But wait, can we talk about you sit in the bathtub where when the water is running? Sometimes it is getting ready. Oh, that's unacceptable. <laughs> that's terrible. I don't even know why. Yeah, but like, why? Because you can't sit in the bathtub until it's all the way full. So this would be an example of a difference. <laughs> I just don't understand this. I don't know. Because that's the rule that you have to, it's supposed to fill up and then you get in? Yeah. Because you don't know what what if something comes out of the faucet that you don't want in your tub. Like a creature? Yeah. Why would that happen? You live in, I mean, this is the more rational explanation because I think I've always had this thing, even as a little kid. But like, you live in New York City. There were rats in the vending, the MetroCard vending machines. Like, I'm now envisioning you're sitting in the tub and like a mouse comes out. And you're in the tub, so you can't make a quick getaway. This I can't make a quick wait. getaway you wait. to hop out of the no, tub. No, you wait until the tub is full, and then you get in the tub. So That you, is the proper way to know, take a bath. You know everyone. if there was a rat in the pipe, it could still come out even when the water wasn't running. No. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Probably more likely to come out when the water isn't running. That's not actually <laughs> true at all. So, so yes. It's a great anyway. time. It's a great time to have that quiet time to help, you know, the world kind of shut off. And for me, that's one of those moments in which I find myself thinking less and just feeling a bit more. Until the rat comes out. Until the rat comes out. Um, and so I think, you know, I guess my, and I, the point of this part of the discussion is to really have your thing or your way of checking in with yourself, whether that is when you go to the bathroom or, um, you know, when that is, like, going to refill your cup of coffee. Don't have more than five or six every day. Five or six? Yeah, yeah. Just black coffee. We'll, and that's another wow. another podcast like, for another day. Yeah, no. I don't, no, I don't drink that because no. But, yes, you can drink about five cups. I mean, you know I don't do coffee, and right. anybody who, like, follows me on social media knows I'm very big into the matcha. <laughs> but five or six cups of even matcha, I would be a crazy person. But you have at least two regularly. Usually one. Two on no. Mondays. What? No. What do you mean? Cups. What's a cup? Eight it's out, a cup. Eight ounces. No, ma'am. I don't know. Eight what, ounces. You know I don't know how big my heart is. This is why I'm telling you. <laughs> You, whenever, every time you buy a matcha from some place, it's at least a cup and a half. That's crazy. <laughs> it is not. It's, that's literally the measurement. Fine. Only usually because I you would not know otherwise. Right. Because usually cup, the small cups at like Starbucks, Gregory's, whatever, whatever, 
Usually it's about 12 ounces. That's a cup and a half. Who is drinking less than that? This is, but this is why you can have five okay. cups. Okay, all right, all right. That makes more sense now. Okay. Because <laughs> no one actually drinks it. People used to. But like, no one actually drinks a cup. I no one you. actually okay. drinks I'm one cup. I'm less appalled with the five or six okay, now. Okay, Anyway. Yes. We can move on. I don't even know what we're talking about now. That you shouldn't drink five or six oh. cups of coffee. <laughs> no, I said you could drink five or six cups of coffee. I'm so humble that you should but, not. But my point is, is that that could be a time that you check in with yourself. Like if you're going to refill your coffee cup or water, because that's always good. Water is water. Right? Um, or matcha, or whenever you go to the bathroom, or every time you sit down in your chair at work, or every time you change the channel, or each time a streaming service asks you, are you still watching? That's another <laughs> podcast episode. Don't get me started. Then that's a good time to say like, hey. How am I feeling right now? What's going on? Judged by Netflix. How, how am I feeling right, right now? How am I doing? Uh, find your moments, plural, throughout the day where you get to check in with yourself, even if it's just for five seconds. Agreed. And with that, if you guys have any questions about anxiety, depression, if you want to weigh in on whether or not you should get in the bathtub before or after the water is running... Um, if you've ever had a rat come through your faucet, because then I feel like that's a point for my side, feel free to reach out to us on social media. You can find our practice at Viva Wellness NYC. I am at Rachel Gersten. And I'm at Jarell Carabello. And if you have a moment, it only takes a moment, even though I don't know exactly what measure of time constitutes a moment, but it only takes a moment to leave a rating and review for us. That's how other people find the podcast. And we love to hear your feedback. And we also just really like when people say good things. So please leave a rating and review. Say good things. Share this episode with anybody who you think might be able to benefit from it. And we hope to have you join us next time. See, I almost did it that time. Yes, I felt it as we were approaching. <laughs> but I stopped myself. I felt it. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.